It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. Dear friends, thank you so much for joining It Is Written. I am very excited today to have in studio with me Dr. Tim Standish. Dr. Tim Standish is a senior scientist with the Geoscience Research Institute. He holds a Bachelor's of Science in Zoology, a Master's of Science in Biology, and a PhD in Environmental Biology and Public Policy. Dr. Standish, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure to be here with you. Now, Dr. Standish, I was naming off a lot of big things, zoology and biology and geoscience. What is the Geoscience Research Institute? Well, I would start off by saying it is probably the most interesting place on Earth to work. Uh, basically, we're a group of scholars who are interested in the relationship between science and faith. And uh, obviously, there is this kind of idea out there in the world that these are two um, uh, areas of knowledge that are in conflict with one another in some way. Uh, what we're looking for is harmony between the two. Okay. It's our belief that, and in, and in fact, uh, I think a, a well-defended position, that when you look at science, you cannot do it without having faith. And uh, the question is, what are you going to have faith in? Okay. That's the big one. Wow, well, it sounds like a very interesting place to work. Now, how long has the Geoscience Research Institute existed? It's, it, it was founded in 1958. And uh, so let's see here, how many years later is it? We're, we're, all, we're almost to 60 years. Wow. And how long have you worked with the Geoscience Research Institute? I've been there for 15 years. And previous to that, I actually met you a number of years ago when you were an associate professor of biology at Andrews University. That's right. And prior to that, you were an associate professor of biology at Union College uh, in Nebraska. In Lincoln, Nebraska. Yes. A beautiful place. It is. It is. Well, you know, I'm very excited. We are having a, a series here, and the title of the series is Where Am I From? And so, Dr. Standish, I'm going to ask you a very broad-based question, but you've talked about origins, you talk about faith and science. So where are we from? Well, as you can imagine, as a scientist, I've investigated this very carefully, and I've discovered that I came from my mother and father. <laughs> And uh, the interesting thing about science is that we can, we can look at things like that and we have some rules that we use. One of the rules that's commonly used is the idea that the present is, it gives us some sort of insight on what occurred in the past. Okay. So um, I would expect that you are the product of your parents too. Yeah. None, of us, none of us just came into existence in a, in a puff of smoke or something like that. We were all born from parents who were somewhat like ourselves. Okay. And um, I sincerely believe that all human beings are descended from human beings. 
It's, it's, it's a very important point. Why do I believe that? Well, obviously, I happen to be a Christian, so uh, my Christian faith gives me some insight into that. But in addition to that, my science also tells me something about it. I can make observations. Uh, it isn't that I have observed every child being born into the world. Right. However, I know of no exception to a human being, uh, the origin of a human being, other than being born from a mother, uh, the, the, the product of a genetic union between a mother and a father. So uh, from that particular perspective, I would say it is scientifically pretty well supported that humans come from humans, oak trees come from oak trees, and uh, dogs come from dogs, cows come from cows, fish come from fish, and, and so on. Uh, uh, so that's, that's sort of the, the scientist in me speaking. Okay. One of the things that I've done recently that has been fascinating has been to start investigating my own DNA. Okay. And using that, I can actually trace my ancestry in the most fascinating ways. I've found out interesting things about myself. Um, I, I've found out, for example, that I have some Native American ancestry. Wow. That was pretty unexpected, but very excited. Yes. E exciting. Um, that was, uh, that's the kind of thing that science can inform us about. However, I have not found evidence that compellingly points me to believe that I came from atoms alone. Okay. So you're getting to this conversation of maybe we would call it origins. Yes. Where are we originally from? You know, uh, and, and I knew when I asked that broad-based question, I wondered if you would say, I am from California or... Uh, but you are talking here now about origins. Where are we originally from? Humans come from humans. Yes. This has actually been a question of the ages, so to speak, on this issue of where are we from? And not where we live or where we're located and this issue with the present, but that ancient time of how did human beings come into existence? How did this world come into existence? How did this universe come into existence? Over time, there have been many, many writings about how, in fact, this world, the human race, come into being. And I know you've done some studying on that. What kind of ancient literature do we have that talks about origins and where we are from? Well, if you, if you look at what philosophers write about. This is really one of the big, big questions they wrestle with. They're always asking questions about what causes such and such a thing. And of course, um, you know, we wake up in the morning and we look around ourselves and we can start asking those same sorts of questions too. It's not something that's, that's just restricted to, you know, strange people in ivory towers. Yes. People in the past had the same questions that we have today, and they, they wrote about their ideas. Some of them may seem kind of bizarre to us today. Um, I'm particularly interested in what the ancient Greek philosophers wrote about these things. But you can go back even before the Greeks. And of course, um, if you go all the way back, 
We can go all the way back to Moses. Moses gives one of the most ancient accounts of where everything came from in the, in the book of, uh, of Genesis. Uh, that's what Genesis means, yes. you know, the, the beginning of things, the, yes. the generation of, of things. But um, uh, one of the questions that I started asking myself was, where or when did people start getting different ideas than the ideas that Moses had? You know, Moses believed that there was a, a divine cause for everything. He, he uh, talked about uh, an eternal God, an omnipotent God, a, 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 an all-powerful God as the cause for everything that, that, we, that we see today. Okay. Um, and <clears throat> other people around Moses, some of them would have had similar ideas. Now, interestingly enough, the Egyptians who Moses grew up with yes. actually had some different kinds of ideas. They apparently believed certain things about the potential, at least, for beings to come from mud, uh, which, is, which is kind of, <laughs> of, of cool. I have not really studied the Egyptian literature, uh, but others have, and it's been fascinating to hear them talk about that. But I won't try to pretend I'm an expert in that. What I did was I started going back and asking, who are the first people who thought that human beings and other organisms or the entire universe didn't come from some sort of divine cause? Okay. And I still think that the earliest record of that is in the Bible. Uh, interestingly enough, at least I haven't been able to find anything written earlier than what's in the Bible. Sure, And sure. it's in there twice in the book of Psalms. Okay. Both of them Psalms written by David. All right. Now, I'm trying to remember exactly when David lived. Was it about 800 BC? It was 8, 900, yeah. It yeah, was in the 10th, 9th century, yeah. yes. So that's a long time before uh, Jesus came along or, or anything like that. And um, he wrote these words. He said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And interestingly enough, he says that twice. He says that in Psalm 14, verse 1, and also Psalm 53, verse 1. Okay. He, he plagiarizes himself. Yes, yes. Um, and so you have, and so just to kind of, kind of summarize a little bit of what we're talking about and, and, and then probe this a little deeper. As you've studied the ancient literature, Moses' account in Genesis is one of the most ancient pieces of literature that talks about the origins of the cosmos, of the universe and mankind, humankind. And we're going to spend a lot of time digging into that and I'm looking forward to that. But then you're asking the question, okay, Moses writes that there was a divine cause. God is causing things to come into existence. But at some point in time, because as we all know, there are many today who believe that God was not, there was not a divine cause, yeah. that there were other natural causes. And so you're asking the question, when does this first begin that people are not believing that there was a divine cause? Yeah. And you actually find it, ironically enough, in the Bible where David is saying, only a fool believes there is no God. Exactly. And, and of course, you could argue 
that he's, he means God in Israel or something like that. But if you look at the, at, at the other writings of David, and, and they're extensive in the Bible, yes. uh, in, in the book of Psalms, um, he, he obviously means the creator of all things. Yes. Um, so he's saying here, the fool has said in his heart, there is no creator. There's no creator God out there. He's not just saying God in Israel or, you know, God of the gods or something in that sort of sense. Certainly. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, th this really sort of piqued my interest. Yes. Because I'd always imagined that in the Bible, they're sort of against all these other gods, the other, you know, groups of people had. Yes. But, um, you know, that nobody there was saying there's no God at all. There were too many gods. Yes. Uh, but, um, but apparently David encountered people who, or at least he, he felt compelled to argue against those who believed there, there was no creator God. Now, um, as I looked around further, what I found was a fascinating character named Brihaspati. He was an Indian philosopher. Okay. And Brihaspati came up with a system, a philosophical kind of religious system that was called Shavaka. And I know these are really foreign sounding yes, words, yes. aren't they? Yes. Um, but this, is the, 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 this was in the, in the Indian uh, system of philosophy. Now, he believed that there were no gods, no divine beings, no nothing like that. So obviously no creator. Okay. Um, and, and he was about 600 B.C. Okay, so 600 B.C. And one more time, what is his name? Brihaspati. Brihaspati. And when you speak of him being an Indian, you're talking about from India, Indian. Yes. And he is writing that there are no gods. There so are no gods. what was his idea then about how things came to be? That's a big mystery because there was a big um, argument we, uh, among Indian uh, theologians and philosophers about this. And eventually the Brahmins uh, sort of prevailed in the argument. They said that there is a creator. Okay. Which is, which is interesting. Yes. Uh, so, so in their pantheon of gods, there is a creator God who's sort of the ultimate creator of all things. So even though he begins from the standpoint and as an Indian philosopher says there are no gods, yes there is actually conflict within the religions of India at that time in the, yeah. in the seventh century BC. And the Brahmins come out and say there is a creator God. Yes. Now, are you, do you, are you finding other ancient sources that are saying there are no gods and no divine source of creation or the uh, cause of humankind's existence. There's actually something almost more interesting that goes on among the Greek philosophers. Okay. Um, I, I start with, with one named Democritus, and Democritus is a fascinating character. Um, there's all kinds of interesting stories about him. Interestingly enough, his father was a military supplier. That's how he made his money. Okay. And um, this was a very well-off family. Um, uh, and Democritus, he, he took his inheritance and he blew it all on basically a world trip. And he went and studied the philosophies of all of the surrounding areas. And uh, he came back 
with this idea that, uh, that we call atomism today. Okay, atomism. Atomism, yes. Uh -huh. The idea that everything's made out of atoms and the causes of things are simply the rearrangement of atoms, but that there is no, um, nothing that does the rearranging necessarily. The atoms simply move by their nature. The atoms are eternal. So they have eternal movement and they themselves have, have existed eternally. So there is no need for gods. So we have Democritus yes. saying everything exists and, and has atoms. These atoms are eternal and nothing is, so what he's actually saying is there's actually nothing new in the universe. It's things are simply rearranged by natural causes, no divine source or divine cause of things coming into existence. That's right. There, there are really two schools of philosophy and they, they were addressing this, this problem that, that had been noticed and that is that nothing comes from nothing. That was a, a philosopher named Leucippus okay. who, who made that observation. There's a cause for everything. And so these two really lines of philosophy were going on. One line was saying, therefore, to account for what we see, you need some sort of divine intervention. Yes. And the other line of philosophy, the atomists, they were saying, no, you don't need divine inter intervention because everything's eternal and, um, and it all just, just sort of comes into being by something other than it, it, it's, it's unguided. Okay. Now, do we have any others, as you've done this research in Greek philosophy, these atomists that become prominent and, and begin explaining origins? Yeah, pro probably the most famous is Epicurus. Okay. Epicurus. People have heard the word Epicurean. Yes. And you think of good food and, and those sorts of things. That comes from Epicurus. Uh, basically, what he said was that the only way of knowing things is through our senses. And, um, and, and he got himself into big trouble. Uh, he, he was a disciple of Democritus. Okay. And he was accused of being an atheist, which was a bad thing back then. You didn't want to be accused of being an atheist. Okay. He did the most interesting thing. What he did was he said, well, no, I believe in the gods, but I make them so holy that they have nothing to do with the material world. Uh, so it was kind of an interesting sleight of hand in a way mm -hmm. that he did. But he said that the, the gods have nothing at all to do with the affairs of human beings or the affairs of the material world. Okay. They're, they're immaterial beings that, that simply have nothing to do with us. Now this is fascinating. So Epicurus is basically saying there are gods. However, those gods kind of exist in their own realm and have nothing to do and no cause of the existence of this earth and the human beings on this earth. That's right. And so to account for everything, these Epicureans were real geniuses. Mm -hmm. um, they came up with, or at least certainly developed the concept of infinity. And they said, you know what? If, if, if the universe is infinite and and, and it's existed here for an infinite amount of time, then anything that can possibly happen will happen in an infinite number of times. 
no matter how unlikely it may seem that you and I are sitting here having this conversation, yes. because of infinity, it's going to happen an infinite number of times. That's the argument that they used, and it's really a brilliant, insightful kind of argument. Okay, now maybe, maybe, maybe help me out with that a little bit. Why is that so brilliant? Why is that so insightful? Well, for a number of reasons. One is that it's very difficult to answer. Um, uh, obviously, uh, we can't go back in time one second, let alone an infinite amount of time. So how would you demonstrate that the universe is not infinitely old? Yes. It turns out that we've figured out a way nowadays. Okay. But they didn't have a way back then. How could you prove or demonstrate or argue that the universe was going to have an end in any kind of empirical sense. Remember that they restricted the arguments that they would accept to what you could see with your senses, what you could hear, what you could see, what you could smell, and so on. And so, you know, by restricting things like that, they, they, they really put those who argued against them into a, into a bit of a box. And, and the fascinating thing is that this particular argument was popular at the time of Christ. Um, in fact, Epicureanism was one of the two big kind of philosophical, religious um, movements in the, in the Roman Empire uh, at the time of, of Christ and, and of the, the disciples. Yes, and, and it's very interesting because we actually find the Epicureans showing up in the Bible by name, Acts chapter, I believe it is 17. I believe it's 17, yes. And the showdown with Paul and the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Now, Dr. Standish, we're actually running out of time. We're in the last few moments. We're going to continue this conversation in our next show. However, we want to leave folks with this this battle of the Epicureans and Paul and his visit. And Paul encounters this, this, this altar to the unknown God. And then Paul says something to them with this argument of infinity that the Epicureans, and what does he do to kind of flip their argument on end? Well, he does a number of things. Paul's argument is really brilliant, but he starts out with the created God. He says, this unknown God that you have been worshipping is the creator God. And he proceeds on in the most interesting way by saying, I know this because that God came down and became part of his creation. It blew their minds. And with that, Dr. Standish, we are going to end for today. I want to thank you for joining us and we'll continue this conversation.
Friends, I don't know about you, what an intriguing topic today. It's left me hanging wanting more, and maybe you want more. If you're wanting more, I want to offer the book to you today, Beyond Imagination. The book was written by Dr. James Gibson, who is the director of the Geoscience Research Institute. Here is the information you need to receive today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H7V4. Dr. Standish, I want to thank you so much for such a thrilling journey today. I think you can tell that I enjoy this topic. I think the origins is the most interesting thing ever. And I look forward to talking with you about it more uh, in the next program. I am looking forward to that as well. Dear friend, I want to thank you for watching today. And I want to encourage you to watch again next week as we continue this journey 
Now, maybe you'd like to share the show with one of your friends. I'd invite you to go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash IIW Canada. And there you can pick up the program. You can share it on your Facebook page. You can email it to your friends. We come from a God who loves and cares for us and cares for this world. Please join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.